The scripture this morning will come from John nineteen thirty-eight through forty-two. John nineteen thirty-eight through forty-two. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus, and Nicodemus, who at first came to see Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips, of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. Thank you, Jordan. Good morning, church. We're thankful that you are here today, and I have so many thoughts and things going through my mind. I wish we had time to, to share all those, but one of those is, um, is that we have the great opportunity to come together today and worship the Lord. And we know that, and we encourage one another that, but I have to admit, sometimes I'm guilty of thinking all the other things that need to get done, and I fail to remember the very reason why we're here, and we're here to worship God. And I'm thankful that He's given us uh, that commission and he's given us that opportunity. I also want to say, isn't it great to see all of these uh, young people uh, going to this training session? And I'm thankful that uh, we have several that are involved in that. And want to encourage you to be thinking about that and praying about that. And if you're willing to help, I know that they would be uh, glad to have your help. also want to remind you real quickly uh, that this month we're not going to be having a regular teen challenge meal. But we will be fixing them a special dessert on Monday night, uh, the 17th. And so if you would like to fix a dessert for that or help with that, please see Carol or Diane. Also, we'll be taking up donations for uh, some gloves and toboggans for them. If you would like to help with that, please pass that on to Miss Diane. And if you're in the Jackson area, uh, particularly the Old Hickory Mall area, uh, this group of men will be there uh, gift wrapping for customers. uh, And uh, you can talk to them and give donations and things like that. So uh, I want to encourage you to think about that. So if you want to help on the 7th, please do so. The Christmas season is here, isn't it? In just a few weeks, many of us will be gathered with friends and family and we'll be uh, celebrating this time of year. Uh, Many will also be opening gifts and children and others may be anticipating Christmas Eve or Christmas morning when they will be opening those gifts, right? Maybe you're already thinking about that. Maybe you're already anticipating that because it's coming. And so as you, as you think about that, think about uh, anticipating that gift or that child anticipating that gift. I just can't wait to open that gift, right? I mean, this has got to be what I've always wanted, right? And so the time comes and you have that gift in your lap. And you're waiting for your opportunity to open that gift. And your time comes and you rip that paper off and you tear open that box and, and it's empty. What? How can this be? Can you imagine what that must be like? Can you imagine the feeling or the scene or being in that moment and you have anticipated that and all of a sudden this very thing that you have anticipated is not there? 
Well, to this morning in our text, in John chapter 20, we have a similar situation. Now, now it's a little bit different, but there's some, some similarity too. There's the anticipation of going somewhere, finding something, and then when you get there, it's not what you had anticipated. In John chapter 20, and if you look at the other Gospels, we'll see that Mary Magdalene and some other women, they have come to the tomb of Jesus. They are anticipating being there and going in the tomb. In, in some Gospels, it talks about how they discuss who's going to open the tomb for us. Because it had been sealed, you remember. The Romans have guarded it, you remember. And so they're anticipating that. They're going there to uh, prepare further the body of Jesus. Because it seems in anticipation of the Passover that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they had just semi-prepared the body. And so Mary Magdalene and these other ladies, they're going there and they're anticipating having uh, the opportunity to show their love and affection to their Lord by further preparing his body and then they get there and the tomb is empty. And so there's a lot of things we can think about here from John chapter 20. And there's a lot of things we can think about as we think about the empty tomb, as we think about the resurrection. And and, and in amongst all those number of things that we could talk about this morning, I, I want us to notice just a couple of facts A couple of things that stand out about the empty tomb when we look at John chapter 20. What does the empty tomb mean? When we look at John chapter 20 and we think about Mary and these ladies going to the tomb and they find the empty tomb, we think about what we'll find out about Peter and John and what they find when they get to the tomb. What does the empty tomb mean? Mean? Have you ever thought about that? What does the empty tomb mean? We talk about it. We think about it. Now normally we don't talk about it this time of the year. Normally this time of the year people are talking about the birth of Christ. It's normally in the spring of the year around Easter when people talk about the empty tomb and the resurrection. But when we think about that, what does it mean? Well, here's a couple of things that I think we can see, the facts that we can see in John chapter 20 that the empty tomb means. First of all, it means He is not there. The empty tomb means He's not there. He's not in the tomb. Mary Magdalene was shocked when she arrived at the tomb and it was open. And when she looked in, the body of Jesus was not there. So she ran to tell Peter and John. And when she gets to Peter and John, John, uh, John chapter 20 and verse 2, she says, she tells Peter and John, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid Him. She thought someone had come and taken the body of Jesus away. And when Peter and John arrived, they looked into the tomb, and they saw the clothes that, was, that Jesus was wrapped in, but they did not see a body. He was not there. The Bible says when John saw this, he believed. And then Peter and John, they went home. But Mary remained there. Mary remained there, and we'll find in John chapter 20, verse 11, she stood outside the tomb, 
weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and something caught her eye. Something caught her attention. Verse 12, And she saw two angels in white, sitting one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? That was their question. You see, in Luke chapter 8 and verse 2, the Bible records that prior to this, sometime prior to this, that Jesus had cast seven demons out of Mary Magdalene. And it's very likely that from that point on, she and likely some of these other women that were there began following Jesus begin helping in the ministry and begin falling in love with Jesus. No wonder she was weeping. I mean, she had been helped much by the Lord. And now her Lord was gone. No wonder she was weeping. Not only that, not only had they killed him, but now the enemies have taken his body away. No wonder she was weeping. And so she responds to these angels, uh, to their question of why she was weeping, very similar to what she responded to Peter and John. Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. I do not know where they have laid him. Notice what happened in verse 14. Now when she had said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus. She saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Later in verse 15, we'll find out she thought He was the gardener. But Jesus also asked her, Woman, why are you weeping? And whom are you seeking? Now that's an interesting question because Jesus had also uh, asked that in John chapter 18. You remember when the crowd had come? Judas and the, and the crowd, they came with torches and weapons to arrest Jesus. And Jesus says, who are you seeking? And he asked Mary Magdalene the same question. Woman, who are you seeking? You see, the reality is Jesus knew who they were seeking. But the important thing is that they contemplate that question. The important thing for you and I this morning is that we contemplate that question, that we think about that question. Who are you seeking? You see, there are those today that are truly seeking Jesus. Notice what Jesus said. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. There are those who truly are seeking Jesus. And Jesus says, if you truly seek, you will find. But many also are seeking Jesus in all the wrong places. Mary, Peter, and John, they went seeking Jesus in the tomb, but that was the wrong place because He wasn't there. And there are some places in life that we need to remember that Jesus is not. 
For example, Jesus is not in my selfish desires. Hello? James chapter 4 would say, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure? That war in your members you lust and you do not have. You murder and you covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. And James has some tough words for those readers. He says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Wherefore, whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So who are you seeking? Jesus is not in our selfish desires. Who are you seeking? Where else is Jesus not? Jesus is not with those who do not know Him and who do not call on His name. John writes in 1 John chapter 2, Now by this we know Him. If we keep His commandments... He who says, I know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word, truly the love of God is perfected in Him. By this, we know that we are in Him. Jesus is not in our own desires. He's not in those who do not know Him or who do not call on His name. And He's not in community groups whose goal is not to please Him or obey His commandments. And this covers a number of groups, including governments and things like that. First John chapter 3, John says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. You see, Jesus is not in those places. Remember the warning of Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1? He says, and to give you, verse 7, who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels. This is what's going to happen. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. You see, there's something that Christians need to remind the world of. And I don't mean in a, in a harsh, arrogant way, but in a loving and compassionate way, we need to remind the world that hell is for real. And without Jesus, that's where you end up for eternity. And folks, that should touch our hearts. Especially for those that we love and care about. Those we're around every day. That should break our hearts. Because the Bible reveals us to us that's not a good place. It's a place of punishment and everlasting destruction, Paul said. Away from the presence of the Lord. Where is Jesus? He's not in hell. And on the flip side, we need to remember to seek Jesus where He is. 
Paul says in Romans chapter 8, and the Hebrew writer says in, Roman, in Hebrews chapter 12, that he's at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven. John also would tell us that he's in the Word of God. He is the Word of God. Paul would say to the Galatians and to the Ephesians, in Galatians 1 and Ephesians 3, he's in the church. And Paul would write in Romans chapter 6 and 2 Corinthians chapter 3, also John in 1 John chapter 5, that he's in the lives of his people. That's where Jesus is. And that's where we need to be seeking Jesus. So what does the empty tomb mean? The empty tomb means Jesus is not there. And it means He is risen. He is risen. He is alive. He is not dead. Remember what Matthew recorded about this event in Matthew 28? But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for He is risen, as He said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell His disciples that He is risen from the dead. You see, the resurrection is a seal that makes the cross so powerful. You see, without the resurrection, the cross just becomes simply just another form of execution. It's no different. But because of the resurrection, it is different. The cross of Christ, that is. One person said, the resurrection is an essential part of the gospel message. And a key doctrine of the Christian faith. It proves that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that His atoning work on the cross has been completed and is effective. The empty tomb is God's receipt telling us that the debt has been paid. Lo, in the grave He lay. from the grave he arose hallelujah hallelujah it was hard for Mary to comprehend what had happened they've taken my Lord away they've taken him to another place that's why I'm weeping someone said Mary's faith was not extinguished it was only eclipsed the light was still there, but it was covered. Peter and John were in this same spiritual condition, but soon all three of them would move out of the shadows and into the light. And they would later do that. They would later announce and speak and teach and preach about the resurrected Lord. Remember what Jesus said about the light in Matthew chapter 5? You, my followers or the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. It's not meant to be put in the closet. Christian light is not meant to be hidden under a bushel. It's not meant to be kept in a church building. It's meant to shine throughout the world and throughout our lives so that people may see the good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Mary thought Jesus was the gardener. That 
And this gardener asked this woman, why are you weeping? Because they've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they lay Him. Listen, if, if you've taken Him away, she said, tell me, tell me so that I might get Him and I might take Him away myself. Jesus then says, verse 16, Mary. Mary! And she turns and she recognizes the Lord and she calls Him teacher. He called her by name. And she recognized Him. Do you remember what Jesus said in John chapter 10 about the sheep hearing His voice? To Him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear His voice. And He calls His own sheep by name and leads them out. And when He brings out the sheep, He goes before them and the sheep follow Him for they know His voice. And in verse 27 He says, My sheep hear My voice and I know them and they follow Me. Are you one of His sheep today? Are you one of His sheep today? You see, Mary was one of His sheep and He knew her by name. Are you one of His sheep today? If you are, take comfort and know that Jesus knows you by name. No wonder she couldn't help but tell. She runs to Peter and John and she tells them and the other disciples, I have seen the risen Lord. Has the Lord made a difference in your life? If He has, go tell people. If you're not in Christ today, listen to me. If you're not in Christ today, who or what are you seeking? What's keeping you from being in Christ? I want you to think for a minute about the difference the empty tomb made in the life of Peter and John. Remember what Peter did? Peter denied the Lord. Just like Jesus said he would do. Do you remember that scene if you've seen the movie The Passion of the Christ? When Peter wept bitterly because he had seen eye to eye with the Lord. But the Lord was killed. And Peter didn't have the opportunity to say, I'm sorry, Lord. But now, the Lord, He's alive? Can you imagine His anticipation that now I have the opportunity to ask for forgiveness? And we'll see at the end of this book. Peter is restored. Isn't that awesome? Imagine the perspective of John. You see, in the Gospel of John, likely when it says the the disciple whom Jesus loved, that was John. Can you imagine? How do you feel about your best friend? 
What if all of a sudden your best friend was no longer with you and maybe you're in that case today? Don't you miss them? Can you imagine how much John missed Jesus and it had only been a few hours and a few days? And now all of a sudden, he's alive? My friend is alive? What a difference Jesus made in the lives of Mary Magdalene, Peter, and John, and so many others. What a difference the resurrection made in the life of Mary Magdalene, of Peter, and John, and others. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You see, the resurrection gives us hope as well. The resurrection gives us a hope, an expectation of a home in heaven. The resurrection gives us hope of a new life in Christ. The resurrection gives us an expectation, hope of salvation in Christ and forgiveness of my sins. The resurrection gives us that hopeful expectation of a life and a relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, also which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Paul says, this is what the Scriptures say. You can mark it down. You can count on it. You can take heart in it. You can have hope in it. And that He was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, He was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, He was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, He was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. Peter said, because of the Scriptures, you can take it to the bank. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and He rose the third day, just like the Scripture said. Not only that, there are witnesses who have seen the risen Christ. And most of them remain to this day. You see, there's some proof in the resurrection. So who are you seeking today? Is it Jesus? Because there's some places He's not. He is at the right hand of the throne of God. He is in the Word of God. He is the Word of God. He is in the church. He is in His people. Has the resurrection made a difference in your life? If not, it's our prayer that you will give your life to Jesus today. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He, because of the resurrection, is my light, my strength, my song. And like we're about to sing, because He lives, I can face tomorrow.
Do you need to respond to the Lord's invitation? Come forward and let us assist you any way we can as together we stand and sing.